Well, I wanted to wish everybody a happy Super Bowl day today, <laughs> sponsored by Taylor Swift. Last week, we discovered God's intention to dwell in the midst of his covenant people. The way God would dwell with his people is by having a tent made. A tent doesn't sound all that fancy for a place of God's glory to reside, but tents were common for, for nomads, which is what the Israelites were. Uh, the Israelites were heading to Canaan, where they were to conquer and then inhabit the land. Portability was a must. The covenant was broken when the people rebelled against God and created a golden calf to worship instead of being satisfied with worshiping the one true God, creator of heaven and earth. God cancels his plan to dwell with the, in the people's midst and sends the nation toward Canaan, upholding his promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to bring the people back to Canaan, where they would live in a good land, a land flowing with milk and honey. However, God said he would not be traveling with them. He would not be in their midst. Moses speaks to the Lord in the tent of meeting, where Moses tells the Lord that if he has indeed found favor in God's sight, then God would reveal himself to Moses. Because how can one have God's favor without being able to increase in their knowledge of God? Remember last week we said the knowledge of God isn't the path to reward. The knowledge of God is the reward. God renews the covenant and will once again dwell in the midst of his people. It is important to recognize that, that sin still separates the nation from God. A holy God living amongst sinful people is not easily done. The purpose of the tabernacle is to make a way for God to dwell amongst sinners. The rituals, observances, and ceremonies performed on the tabernacle grounds are necessary for God to be with the nation and paint a picture of New Testament truth concerning Christ and what he did to make fellowship with God possible. Much of the Old Testament illustrates New Testament truth. With God back on board with the Israelites, it is time to begin building the tabernacle. There are two sections uh, in Exodus that give instructions how to build the tabernacle and the tabernacle furnishings. The first section is found in Exodus chapters 25 through 33. Uh, the instructions are repeated in chapters 36 through 40 with just a few minor differences. The reason for the repetition is that God canceled the covenant after the people broke their promise to obey all the rules of the covenant. When the covenant was renewed based on the understanding that the foundation of the covenant rests on God's forgiveness and not on the people's righteousness, the instructions were given again. What we're going to do for the next couple of weeks is consider the purpose of the tabernacle and all the furnishings to discover important truths that matter today. My, my wife is reading through uh, uh, in one year, trying to read through the Bible this year, and, and so I get a lot of questions, and I say, hey, you know, I'm off the clock. Uh, no, she, she asked questions, and, uh, and she asked a question this week. It just so happened to be she caught up to where, where we're, we're preaching through, and she said, we're not supposed to build a tabernacle, right? She, it was a it was a rhetorical question, but I love to answer rhetorical questions. So I said, no. And she said, then what value is there for us in, in reading 
in understanding how the tabernacle was constructed? And I said, that's a great question, and I'll tell you on Sunday. No, I didn't tell her that. I, I gave her, I gave her a, a, a satisfactory answer that we're going to go over this morning. Uh, but we're going to go over for the next couple of weeks and consider the purpose of the, of the tabernacle and the furnishings to discover important truths that do matter today. Um, I know that doesn't sound particularly exciting. We're going to talk about the tabernacle, how to build the tabernacle. Well, I like this old house, and, uh, and I, I could watch people work forever. Uh, and uh, no, there's, there is some benefit to, uh, uh, to studying this. And I, in fact, I hope I blow your mind this morning. Well, let me rephrase that. I hope scripture blows your mind this morning as we, as we go over the tabernacle. Uh, it is relevant for today. Even though we're not going to be building a tent of our own, although you can get online and buy models uh, and, uh, that are to scale, and you can, you can build a tabernacle. Uh, we did that, but Ida came and took care of that. Um, but, uh, but you can see, and it's very accurate, these, these uh, uh, models that you can buy and, and put together if you, if you like doing that sort of thing. What we're going to do to start with is we're going to look at five names that are given to the, to the tabernacle in the book of Exodus to help us understand the significance of it. Uh, and so we're, we're going to skip around a lot this morning, but mostly still be in Exodus. In Exodus 25.8, listen for what uh, the tabernacle is called. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. The first one is a sanctuary, a place set apart for a holy God. We know that God is everywhere present and cannot be contained. The emphasis is not where God resides in this, but the place itself is reserved for God's presence. That's what it's referring to as a sanctuary. This place is reserved for God's presence. A sanctuary is set apart from common use. It's like those dishes that you have that you only use for Thanksgiving and, no, and never any other time of the year. Uh, or maybe you, you have it in a cupboard and it's never seen the light of day. Those are special just in case... Um, you know, uh, the, the senator comes. I don't know why we, we keep them. Um, but, uh, but it's not for hot dogs on a Tuesday night. It's, it's reserved. Uh, and that's what the sanctuary is. It's reserved. So taking a nap or hosting a birthday party would be an inappropriate use for the tabernacle because it is God's sanctuary. And we've been referring to this in, in Exodus 25.9. Tabernacle uh, is the dwelling place of God among his people. In, in 25.9, it says, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of the furniture, so you shall make it. Uh, tabernacle is, the, is a dwelling place. So when referred to tabernacle, it's the place where, where God will dwell amongst his people. Exodus 26.36 says, you shall make a screen for the entrance of the tent of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen embroidered with needlework. Here it is referred to as the tent, as the tent. The emphasis on tent is the portability of the tabernacle. Now in Michigan, we don't have camps like we do here in Louisiana. Uh, it took me a while to figure out what it meant when people said they were going to the camp for the weekend. I pictured a tent set up on a campground. 
uh, that would be a camp. Uh, in Michigan, people would say they are going to their cottage, uh, not, uh, not a camp. Some people might say they are headed to the lake for the weekend, but that implies a cottage. Uh, camping is different than going to the cottage. Camping implies mobility. A camper is temporary. It is temporary. Carmen, it is, it is temporary. Every year, my family would go with another family to Ludington State Park, uh, which is right beside Lake Michigan. Uh, we would go for two weeks, and it is, without a doubt, my favorite place on earth. Love Ludington State Park. My folks would sleep in a small trailer while my brothers and I would sleep in tents. Tents are now much easier to set up and take down than they were back then, uh, and that is the purpose of a tent. Easy up, easy down, take it with you. The tabernacle was built with traveling in mind. The Shekinah glory of God would move from the tabernacle to in front of the people, and everybody would wake up, look to see where the pillar of cloud, the Shekinah glory of God, where it was residing. If the pillar was over the tabernacle, over the Holy of Holies, they would stay put. But if they woke up and the pillar had moved out in front of the, of the nation, it was time to pack up. The tabernacle was designed to be portable. In Exodus 29:42, it says, It shall be a regular burnt offering throughout your generations at the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord, where I will meet with you to speak to you there. The tabernacle of the congregation is the place where God met with his people. When the Lord would speak to the nation, it would be from the tabernacle. The tabernacle was situated right in the middle of the nation. Every tribe had their assigned place around the tabernacle. Everybody knew where to go when summoned to hear a word from the Lord. If somebody said, the Lord spoke to us over by that tree, only we were close enough to hear him, uh, I will tell you what he said and you should do it, everybody would know that they were lying because God spoke to the nation where? From the tabernacle. I heard of a few different guys try this approach to convince a girl to marry them. They'll say, God spoke to me that you are supposed to marry me. And the answer to that is, well, God didn't tell me, go away. All right? Young ladies, if somebody tries that and God didn't tell you, you can dismiss them. Tell them your pastor said so. With the designated place for communication being the tabernacle, there wouldn't be confusion or misrepresentation of what God said. In Exodus 38, 21, we get the last name for it. It says, uh, these are the records of the tabernacle, the tabernacle of testimony, as they were recorded at the commandment of Moses. The responsibility of the Levites under the direction of Ithamar, the son of Aaron, the priest. It's called the tabernacle of testimony. The law given to Moses kept in the Ark of the Covenant. And we'll get to that in just a moment. The tabernacle was where the written testimony of the covenant was kept. The stone tablets where God wrote the law and then given to Moses while they were at the top of Mount Sinai. We often refer to it as the Ten Commandments, uh, but it's more than just those thou shalt not. It's, it goes much longer than that. Um, and, uh, and it was recorded on those two tablets, both sides. So there was a lot written on those tablets. Uh, these are the five names given to the tabernacle. Each name emphasizes a different aspect of the tabernacle. The tabernacle was where a holy God dwelt amongst his people. 
God would travel with his, peop- with his people and speak to them. The promise God made with the people would be remembered because the physical tablets would go with the tabernacle. No one need doubt what the righteous demands of God were. Now, for what purpose did God assign the tabernacle? In Exodus 29, 42 through 46, it says, It shall be a regular burnt offering throughout your generations at the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord, where I will meet with you to speak to you there. There I will meet you with the people of Israel, and it shall be sanctified by my glory, which means to be set apart. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. Aaron also and his sons I will consecrate to serve me as priests. I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord, their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord, their God. There are four purposes for the, for the tabernacle. Possibly more, but we're going to look at four this morning. First, it showed sinful people how they could come before a holy God in worship and service. I don't think it's easy to underestimate the difficulty of this with a holy, righteous God and sinful people. How could sinful people come before a holy, righteous God in worship and service? Uh, and the tabernacle uh, shows how, uh, that, there, that there is a way. It, it paints a picture. Secondly, it offers a sacrifice for sin. Sin has to be paid for. Uh, way back when, with, uh, with Adam and Eve, God said, if you do not obey and you eat from this tree, you will certainly, what? Die. You will certainly die. And, uh, and when Adam and Eve sinned, what was the first thing to die? There was a, a little sheep that, uh, that, was, that, uh, that was killed and, and the, used to, to cover Adam and Eve. Immediately, sin brought death. And, uh, and in, a, in a very serious way, that was the first sacrifice for sin. Uh, something had to, had to die. Uh, and so the tabernacle is a place where sin can be sacrificed for. Uh, blood is required because of sin. There are many different types of sacrifices that were made on the altar of the tabernacle. A major sacrifice that was made on the altar was the sin offering. The sin offering lasted all day. A holy God doesn't ignore sin. Sin must be dealt with. The sin offering temporarily satisfied or postponed God's judgment on sin. There they were also to receive instruction, and, and, and we went over that. And here is the one that I, I, I hope Scripture blows your mind this morning uh, as you consider this. The purpose of the tabernacle gives the pattern for heaven. If you want to know what heaven is like, then you study the tabernacle and subsequent temple. It is a pattern for heaven. In Hebrews 9.11, if you want to write that down and look at it later, in Hebrews 9.11 it says, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. So what does that Hebrews 9.11 passage say? It says that there is a greater and more perfect tent, not of this creation, not made with hands. 
the tabernacle that is recorded in Exodus is made with hands. The writer of Hebrews is saying there is a perfect tent that is not the one in Exodus. It is a different tent altogether. And then a little later in Hebrews 9, verses 23 through 24, it says, Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites. So what are we dealing with? Copies. This tabernacle that is described in Exodus is a copy, is a copy. It says, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are the copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, <coughs> now to appear in the presence of God in our behalf. Did that blow your mind, that studying the tabernacle is to know what heaven is like? That it is a pattern, it is a copy of the true tabernacle in heaven? In this passage, the writer of Hebrews says that the holy places made with hands are copies of the true things. Christ has entered into heaven itself. The tabernacle and the temples are copies. They are patterned after the true holy place. Simply put, the tabernacle is patterned after heaven. If you want to know what heaven is like, look at the tabernacle. Compare and contrast what we, what we know about heaven from the book of Revelation and the tabernacle that's described here in Exodus. Compare and contrast. Anybody get shivers? School terminology, compare and contrast. There are interesting similarities, as one would expect, if the tabernacle is patterned from heaven. <coughs> so that is the, the five names given to the tabernacle, and those are the purposes of the tabernacle. And what we're going to do uh, for today, and then... And then next week uh, is we're going to today look at the actual tabernacle structure, how it was put together and how it was described. Uh, and then we're going to look at the Ark of the Covenant uh, and, uh, and again, see, see why does that matter? What, what's the, what can we gain? What can we benefit from understanding the, the Ark of the Covenant? And then next week, um, we'll look at all the rest of the furnishings on, on the tabernacle grounds. So the first thing we're going to look at is the structure of the tabernacle. Now, if you are the type of person who understands engineering or construction, uh, I'm going to tell you where you can look this up. Uh, it's in Exodus 36, verses 8 through 38. I'll say that again. Uh, if you like that type of thing and, and you can read it and make sense of it, uh, it is Exodus 36, 8 through 38, <clears throat> and then also on the screen you can see 26 verses 1 through 36. It gives a very similar description. But there's four components that I'll just mention, and, and again, you can look this up uh, if you're inclined to. There are four components in the tabernacle structure. The first one is the linen and yarn curtains that draped the sides and formed the ceiling. You, you have the uh, rectangular box and this is the covering that you could see from the inside of the tabernacle. All right, that's the, the first component, is, is what do you see when you are inside the tabernacle? Um, the second is the curtains of goat hair, ram skin, and hides of sea cows. Um, 
I like sea cows. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure it's, I don't know, a walrus? I don't know. Do they, they live uh, close to the Sinai Peninsula? Whatever it is, uh, it uh, was waterproof. Uh, and so that is what's on top of the tabernacle and covers it from, uh, that you could see from the outside uh, that uh, would protect the, the inside of the tabernacle. There were a few layers of, um, of, of coverings to, to keep it uh, dry <coughs> and, uh, and upright. And, uh, and that's a little more drab, uh, but that is the second aspect of it. And then there were w wooden trellised frames on the north and south sides and back end of the structure with crossbars to hold the framework together. Uh, and you can see that on the picture, what an what a artist rendering, um, what they, they think that would have, would have looked like. Um, and then the last one is the two entrance curtains uh, one to divide the tabernacle's interior into two chambers and one at the entrance. So you can see the one at the entrance, if you were to come into temple tabernacle grounds, you could see the one in the entrance. But the other curtain wall uh, <coughs> divides the holy of holies from the holy place. And, uh, and it's done in, in, in thirds. So the holy place is twice the size as the holy of holies. Uh, and, uh, and again, you couldn't see that curtain unless you were inside the tabernacle. And most people were never allowed inside the tabernacle. Uh, only the priests were allowed inside the tabernacle. Uh, so, again, I'm not an engineer or an architect. Uh, more power to you if you, if you understand the, the reading as you go through that. But after reading various commentaries... I think I kind of understand what's, what's going on a little bit. <clears throat> and I don't feel bad about being a little clueless because I don't think I'm the only one that doesn't quite understand it as you read through it. In fact, God singled out two craftsmen to lead the effort in building the sanctuary and the furnishings. Uh, God identifies two guys. It says in Exodus 31, verses 1 through 11, The Lord said to Moses, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood, to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him <coughs> Ohiolab, the son of Ahissamach, I think I'm getting these names right. I don't think they'll be offended if I'm messing it up. Uh, and he's from the tribe of Dan. And I have given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you, the tent of meeting and the ark of the testimony and the mercy seat that is on it and all the furnishings of the tent, the table and the utensils with the pure lampstand with all its utensils, the altar of incense and the altar of burnt offerings with all its utensils and the basin and its stand and the finely worked garments, the holy garments for Aaron, the priest and the garments of his, for his sons, for they serve as priests and the anointing oil, oil and the fragrant incense for the holy place, according to all that I have commanded you, they shall do. That's impressive, isn't it? That they were given ability to do all of these different tasks uh, of, uh, of craftsmanship. Um, thank goodness God gives people with various spiritual gifts to do the work of the ministry. And it said that this was a spiritual gift at this time. 
uh, filled him with the Spirit of God to be able to do this. In the list of spiritual gifts in the New Testament, you will not find the gift of craftsmanship like we see here. But I am glad that there are people who know how to make things and fix things, and apparently God thinks it's important too. I wanted to, to, to stress that because so often we say, oh, the things I'm good at don't matter as much. God gave his spirit to these two men for the purpose of, of, of craftsmanship in creating this. Uh, God values that. What I find interesting is found in verse 8. Remember that Hebrews said that the earthly temple or tabernacle is a pattern or a model of heaven. As we read this verse, what aspect do we find in heaven? Listen as I read Exodus 36, verse 8. And all the craftsmen among the workmen made the tabernacle with ten curtains. They were made of fine twined linen and blue and purple and scarlet yarns with cherubim scarefully, skillfully worked. What do we find in heaven that's mentioned here? The cherubim. Yeah, the cherubim. The craftsmen stitched cherubim on the side portion of the tabernacle on both walls and ceilings. Cherubim, or cherubs, are angelic beings involved in the worship and praise of God. They are described in great detail in the book of Ezekiel. Their characteristics are the same as the four living creatures described in the book of Revelation. It says in Revelation 4, verses 6 through 8, it says, And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne and each side of the throne are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. They never stop praising the eternality of God. Never ceases. That's what's going on in heaven, right? The inner curtains of the tabernacle have needlework, cherubim surrounding the throne of God, representing the actual cherub in heaven who never ceased to proclaim, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. The scene in heaven shows the cherubim surrounding the throne of God. And that is the first piece of furniture that we're going to examine today. The throne room of God is the holy of holies and the throne of God is the Ark of the Covenant. But inside they had the needlework of the, of the cherubim surrounding the throne of God. And, and once a year when the high priest would walk into the Holy of Holies and he would, he would look and see the needlework of all the angels surrounding a pattern for what happens in heaven. But we get to the Ark of the Covenant. And what most people know about the Ark of the Covenant is found in, in a movie. Uh, I don't, I don't know if the Ark of the Covenant is in a warehouse somewhere in Washington, D.C. I, I kind of doubt it, but, uh, um, but uh, I don't know. God didn't tell me. Uh, so we have the Ark of the Covenant, and there's two pieces of the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, the first one is the chest, uh, the, the storage container. Uh, it says in Exodus 37, verses 1 through 5, Next, Bezalel made the Ark of Acacia wood, 
a sacred trest of 45 inches long, 27 inches wide, and 27 inches high. He overlaid it inside and outside with pure gold, and he ran a molding of gold all around it. He cast four gold rings and attached them to its four feet, two rings on each side. Then he made poles from acacia wood and overlaid them with gold. He inserted the poles into the rings at the sides of the ark to carry it. God instructed Moses what was to be stored in the Ark of the Covenant. In Exodus 25, 16, God says, And you shall put into the Ark of Testimony <clears throat> that I shall give you. The two stone tablets that the Lord inscribed were kept inside the Ark. In the New Testament, we are told of some additional items that were added later and stored inside the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, but at this point, it's just the, the two stone tablets. Later, they're instructed to put a, a jar of manna in there and then also Aaron's staff. But it is possible that they also took the manna and the staff out when it was resting, not being carried. But during storage, it would be kept uh, in the ark. But uh, at this point, uh, God mentions the two stone tablets on which are written the covenant that God made with his people. Now, the stone tablets... A jar with manna and Aaron's staff were eventually stored in the ark. But on top of the chest was a cover of the ark, and it is called the mercy seat. The mercy seat. For those of you that, that have been studying scripture for a while, where did the glory of God reside when the, when the tabernacle was up and, and functioning? Right over the mercy seat. The mercy seat is the throne of of God. It is the throne of God. In Exodus 37, 6 through 9, it says, He made the ark's cover the place of atonement from pure gold. It was 45 inches long and 27 inches wide. He made two cherubim from hammered gold and placed them on the two ends of the atonement cover. <coughs> he molded the cherubim on each end of the atonement cover, making it all of one piece of gold. The cherubim faced each other and looked down on the atonement cover with their wings spread above it. They protected it. It was on the mercy seat that the Shekinah glory of God rested. The Ark of the Covenant is the throne of God. It was from the mercy seat where God dispensed mercy to sinful mankind. The word for mercy seat is the same word as propitiation. If you like fancy words, there's one for you. Propitiation. Propitiation means satisfaction. God is satisfied with the sacrifice. God is satisfied with the sacrifice. God is satisfied because sin has been removed. Now, how is sin removed? Sin is removed by the shedding of blood. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. There was a day of atonement once a year. Uh, Yom Kippur, if, if that rings familiar to you, is the day of atonement. Each year on the day of atonement, the high priest entered the Holy of Holies and sprinkled the blood of animal sacrifice for the atonement of the sins of God's people. This blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat. The point conveyed by this imagery is that it is only through the offering of blood that the condemnation of the law could be taken away 
and violations of the law of God's law could be covered. Leviticus 16 gives details on the Day of Atonement. Here are the cliff notes. <clears throat> Once a year, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies to sprinkle blood of the animal sacrifice for the nation. First, the priest would sacrifice a bull for his own sin. Then he would sacrifice a goat and bring the blood of the goat to the Ark of the Covenant and sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. God's wrath would be satisfied for one year only. It postponed God's judgment for one year. The next year, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would perform the ceremony again. The picture of this is amazing. Where was the evidence of the people's sin? Where was the evidence? Well, didn't the two stone tablets <clears throat> declare the guilt of the nation? If they wanted to know, am I righteous? Well, let's go to these tablets. You know, Moses wrote it down as well, so they had access to it because you couldn't just go into the Holy of Holies and, and pull out the two stone tablets. Uh, but you could go to what Moses wrote down, which was exactly the same, and you could say, wow, I'm not righteous. These, these two stone tablets with the, with the law written on it, with the covenant written on it, only points to my guilt. I'm not coming out of here looking good. I'm coming out of here looking like a sinner. Uh, so God could point to proof that the people are not deserving of the Lord's blessing. The two stone tablets prove the guilt of the Israelites. The stone tablets were kept in the chest of the Ark of the Covenant. Covering the people's guilt was the mercy seat. Covering the guilt was the mercy seat. What allowed a holy, righteous God to dispense mercy when the people are so obviously guilty of sin? The blood of a goat was sprinkled on the mercy seat, which satisfied God's righteous judgment for that one year. Mercy was dispensed from the throne of God, and God was righteous in his mercy because of the blood sacrifice. Now, why does this matter for us? In Romans 3, 24 through 25, it says, And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. The name of the mercy seat is propitiation. It means the satisfaction of, of God, that God's righteous demands are being met concerning, concerning the penalty of sin. Uh, and God put Christ forward as the propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. If those former sins weren't eventually paid for completely, then all of the times that God did not give judgment would show that God was unrighteous. Did you ever think about how in the world could King David commit adultery, murder a guy, uh, and, then, and then lie about it, and God not strike him dead right at that moment? God is not just, because both of those things are deserving of death, correct? If you look at the Old Testament law, David is toast. And yet, God did not strike him down. Why? Because David's sin was going to be paid by Christ on the cross. Showing that God is just and the justifier. God was right. He wasn't unjust in withholding judgment from David because Jesus died for that. You know what? Jesus died for my sins and your sins as well. 
The former sins were the sins that were postponed but not done away with. Through the sacrificial system, particularly on the Day of Atonement, God's righteous demands were not completely satisfied by the animal sacrifice made on the altar and the blood being sprinkled on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. The blood sacrifice of the goat satisfied God to postpone judgment, not to remove sin. In Hebrews 10, 4 through 6, it says, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Sprinkling the blood of the goat on the Day of Atonement once a year on the mercy seat did not satisfy God's righteous demands for all time. It's just, I'll postpone your deserved judgment one more year. When Christ came, he said, my sacrifice does not postpone, it washes sin away. Jesus' sacrifice completely satisfied God's righteous judgment concerning sin. 1 John 4, 10 says, And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation of our sins. In Hebrews 9, 11 through 12, it says, But when Christ appeared as a high priest with the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. The picture of the sacrifice and the blood being spilt over the mercy seat, that is a picture, an illustration of the truth of Jesus Christ. I'm so glad we don't have to sacrifice animals. My, my, my dad said years ago, if I had to kill the animal, I'd be a vegetarian. Um, except for maybe fish. Fish don't count. I don't know why fish don't count, but they don't. Uh, particularly crawfish. Yeah. But here we have the picture. The picture of what was being done in Exodus. It was pointing people to Jesus Christ thousands of years later. We don't have to sacrifice animals because it said that Christ entered once for all into the holy place. I mean, he don't have to go again. He doesn't have to go again. There's a, a few movies that I've really enjoyed that I never want to see again. I don't need to see Schindler's List 2, the sequel. Don't need to see it. Uh, on, uh, on Hulu popped up 12 Years a Slave. Saw it once. Don't have to see it again. Friends, Jesus Christ came into the Holy of Holies once for all and his blood was spilt on the mercy seat. That's a picture of what Christ did for us. Is there benefit into studying the, the, the tabernacle and the tabernacle furnishings? Aren't you glad that the, the testimony of our salvation uh, isn't a new thing? But from the very beginning, this was the plan of God to extend mercy. Let's thank him in prayer. Heavenly Father, it's neat to think that, uh, that you showed us a, a, a glimpse of heaven in the description of the, t of the tabernacle, uh, that, uh, that we can imagine the cherubim 
one day when we are before you all around, never ceasing to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. That we're going to see it for those that are saved, for those that have trusted your son as our savior. We're going to see that with our very own eyes. That that will be our reality for all eternity. Father, we thank you for the picture of the, of the Ark of the Covenant where our judgment is stored, showing that we are not meeting your righteous standard. But Father, that you covered that with a mercy seat and that the blood of, of goats would postpone that judgment because sin required a blood sacrifice. Father, there is no greater love than, than what you showed and what Christ showed when he came here to be our once-for-all sacrifice, that his blood was shed for the forgiveness of sin, and that salvation is a gift not earned, and it is received by faith, that it is in fact mercy, which, is, which means undeserved, that you showed your mercy, and that it cost Jesus Christ a painful moment, but that sin and death were conquered, proven by the fact that Jesus rose again and is seated at your right hand. It's in his name. And with great thanks, we pray. Amen.